I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Kate Moser, standing in for Jason Crane, who has lost his voice. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Murat Verdi. God damn it, I can't... These are hard names! (sighs) Murat Murat Verdi and Nicholas Payton. Matt Rock, Murat Verdi (laughs) and Nicholas Payton. Three, two, welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Kate Moser, standing in for Jason Crane, who has lost his voice. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 369. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to the show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Vrabel for the show's logo. He's online at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. All About Jazz has a widget that will display the latest episode of the show on your website. To get it, go to allaboutjazz.com and type Jazz Session Widget in the search box. If you put the code on your site, let Jason know and he'll feature you in his weekly newsletter. You can get that newsletter by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on mailing list at the top of the page. Please join the show. You can do that for as little as $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Please review the show on iTunes. This helps the Jazz Session climb in the iTunes rankings, which makes it easier for people to find it. Jason has a poetry blog at jasoncrane.org. You can also buy his book there. It's called Unexpected Sunlight. It's a collection of poems published in 2010 by Foothills Publishing. Today's guest is guitarist Anders Nilsson. His new album is called Night Guitar. From that album, this is Meet Me in the Back Alley. Already from the start, now I'm totally nervous about saying your name. So your name is something like Anders Nilsson. That's very good. Oh, I'm there. You go. Slightly redeemed. Uh, One, just one of my favorite guitarists uh, on the New York scene, and it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Glad to be here. So uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but we may as well start 
in the obvious place, which is with a new uh, solo guitar record called Night Guitar, which is solo in the sense that uh, you are the only guitarist on it, but not solo in the sense that there's only one guitar. There's, in fact, layers of guitars, which is really, really fantastic. And uh, you are sitting, as we speak, under the cover of uh, Zappa and the Mother's Burnt Weenie Sandwich mm-hmm. record. And so it's. I wanted to start anyway kind of talking about um, some of the things in your guitar listening background that lead to an album like this um, before we talk specifically about the content of the album itself. So I'm guessing there's probably a Zappa in the background there somewhere too, among other things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Frank Zappa is definitely an uh, influence and was one of the first uh, people who uh, kind of changed my world uh, in terms of Listening to m- music at a pretty early age, I was about 12, 13 or something when I started listening to his music. And, uh, you know, the record was Ship Arriving Too Late to Save a Drowning Witch, I think. And I was, uh, I'd never heard anything like it. I thought, what? You can do that? And, uh, so just the whole, the whole concept of, uh, the whole totality of the music the compositional control and wildness and the guitar playing. So uh, that's definitely an influence. This, um, this album is, it's, it's difficult to pin down, I think, because it, it kind of shows so many sides of your guitar playing, even on, even on any one track. I mean, I've seen you and everything from, uh, I first saw you with Faye Victor's band, which is a very kind of free ranging, but, but to my ear, at least, pretty like rock influenced approach to some of what you do. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw you with the Exposed Blues duo. I've seen a bunch of uh, kind of video recordings of other things that you do, and that's one of the things I really dig about this record that it seems to cover a lot of stylistic ground and also a lot of sonic ground using the guitar in lots of different ways. Is that something you've always been interested in? The various sounds the guitar can create. Um, yeah, I would say that's a pretty natural uh, conclusion. Um, what I would say is, uh, it's not always been such a wide uh, or varied bag mm-hmm. that I've been interested in. It goes through faces, but uh, I guess with age and experience, you kind of figure out what you really like or what really likes you <laughs> and uh, kind of put it all together in your own way. So... In that regard, yeah, there's a lot of influences from from all kinds of things from the from the blues world, from the jazz world, metal world, and other. <laughs> <laughs>
but it's you know more or less when I listen to it myself, there are certain sections where I, I, I know what I'm kind of referencing, mm. but a lot of stuff uh, where I don't really know. It's just sort of in flight. Can you talk about, uh, you know, one of the things about most of the music that you play is that you play it with other people. And so there's uh, that kind of organic ability to react and to build off one another. For an album like this where you are primarily reacting to things you've laid down previously, how did you, uh, how much were you, did you map out ahead of time? How much would you allow for kind of happy accidents and spontaneity? Right. Uh, yes, the majority of, of the stuff I do is with other people, and that's my natural habitat. Just the group interplay and, and, um, you know, focusing on making the music together and with all the adjustments and, um, forward thinking that, uh, includes. In this case, I wanted to, kind of just sit down with myself and build it all up with myself so for uh, some of these compositions they're i would say they're fairly compositional as opposed to free freely improvised sure uh the structure is pretty well thought out beforehand and how i was going to record it and what order and all that so you get a, a total sound uh, but of course I allow for certain spontaneous serendipities and, uh, kind of like don't want to control it all. You should have a little air of, of, uh, naturalness in the moment. So, uh, um, it was a, it was a fun challenge. I've never really done it before to just conceive of something compositionally for the guitar but treat the guitar more as an orchestra of different colors, like the Rothko painting behind you. <laughs> um, have different palettes and uh, kind of different kind of energies and charges. I, I think a lot about what kind of charge you play with, you know, which is, is something that is pretty subjective. But, um, how are you using the word charge in that concept? Meaning, like, if I'm, if I'm playing together with somebody else, um, and I want to have a dialogue or uh, establish something with another musician, uh, it's what I mean is simply what kind of energy you play with, what kind of, um, thing are you going for? Is it, is it going to be more of a, quiet lyrical sensitive approach or should, should it be a jabbing jarring contrast uh that kind of stuff so you have a whole um whole bag of possibilities as to how you communicate not just linearly or uh you know kind of going with the flow you can actually make a decision now i'm gonna go athwart <laughs>
this case, was that something you tackled in the process of composition so that before you even recorded the pieces, you knew, okay, this is going to have this kind of feel, this kind of energy? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, yes, but the uh, not 100% because there's there are things that happen only when you actually do it. <laughs> so in the studio, I was helped by my friend uh, Jason Marr, who recorded it with um, sort of a friend's touch. Uh, he was an engineer, and he was, uh, you know, he has access to a whole bunch of amps and uh, pedals and all that kind of stuff, equipment. So um, I had a plethora of tones to to use from so you kind of go with the flow in the moment i'm not that i'm not a perfectionist (laughs) (laughs) were there things that you used in the recording of this album that you were literally using for the first time because they were there in the studio equipment wise yeah yes there were a couple of um there's a nice uh there's a, a few different types of distortion on the album which is uh, an important side of my sound, I think. Um, so uh, we're using different types of fuzz, for example, to get sort of this uh, uh, weird, almost robotic tone quality. And uh, this pedal called Fender Blender from the 70s uh, has some magical sides to it. You, you play a note through it, and uh, or two notes together through it and you get these uh, psycho uh, overtones that are beyond my control and uh, so you get the, the chaos factor that way and uh, just a sound that uh, has a lot of funk to it. There's a, f- a couple places and uh, I, I didn't write down which uh, track it's on but there's at least one place where the, it sounds almost like there's a sequenced synthesizer which I don't think it is I think I, mean, I know it's a guitar being played Um but a sound that sounds almost nothing like a guitar mm-hmm. happening. Do you know, is what I'm saying making sense? And if so, do you know what it was that created that? picturing a, a, a part when you say that and uh, yeah I was using a uh, electric guitar distorted guitar with a phaser effect and I was playing a re- repeated pattern so you get this kind of effect uh, two lines at the same you know two lines overdubbed playing the same kind of rhythm and you get this kind of face shifting uh, it almost sounds like an old synthesizer to me, too. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that uh, over the years, the the size of the palette that you use has changed. How, how has that happened? Just through experimentation, primarily? Or? I would say it uh, happens because, uh, for me, it's, it's a question of what you focus on. So... Uh, Perhaps in my uh, 20s, and uh, before that, it was more about, the focus was more about the stuff I'm playing, the notes, the chords, the rhythms, and that kind of stuff. And uh, then uh, the most obvious thing, every trademark, you know, the jazz cliche, you got to have your sound, right? You're identified by your sound, and perhaps... I, I had a sound, but I hadn't really spent enough time thinking about what do I really want to hear sound-wise, like uh, a voice. So through uh, trial and error, I guess, and just time, you kind of discover what works in different situations for you uh, expressively. And this also has to do with what I call charge. <laughs> 
So you're playing with a with a voice that should perhaps have something to say in the midst of a sea of screaming horns. If you're playing in that context and you want, you know, what you play to be heard or valid, then uh, you got to match somehow. And, uh, you know, different situations call for different things. Um, but I do like to have the ability to play a, a piercing lead with distortion. And that's one reason I play a Les Paul. I'm attracted to that because it can break through, cut through. Also has a very rich, fat tone if you want to play big background chords. So it kind of has a dynamic range that I like. So it sounds like, and maybe this is an obvious thing to say, but it sounds like the the nature of the music that you were attracted to or the places you found yourself playing, to some degree, impacted the sound that you use when you play. I mean, if you had played a bunch of quiet guitar trio music in the more standard style, maybe you'd have a clean tone because that's what would be called for in the situation, but that's not what you're attracted to, so you play the way you play is that does that make sense or is it the other way around well uh you you could do it on on whatever instrument you choose but uh for me what i'm attracted to is a certain uh clarity in the playing and uh sort of like uh i guess some kind of vocal quality to it uh and for me the solid body guitar just cuts through better. And, uh, you know, I like playing acoustic guitar as well, but not when you're about to be run over by a bulldozing crowd. <laughs> <laughs> wise, wise words. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> not doing it anymore. So. <laughs> Was there something, uh, was there something you were hearing or something you weren't getting a chance to do that inspired you at this point in your life and in your career to make this solo guitar record? Yes. Um, I've had, had it on my mind for many years to make a solo album because, uh, I like that concept a lot. Just one person sitting down with the listener sort of and, uh, telling a story. I enjoy that a lot. Um, but I hadn't really felt, uh, ready to act on it until uh, a couple of years ago. And actually the first tracks here are a couple of years old, but, um, uh, it was, I was inspired to, to go and do it at this time. I, I felt I had, uh, a vision forming and a dream to manifest. So I, I wanted to to uh to jump on it strike while the iron's hot sure so uh after that you know you, you get started and uh then uh it was fairly easy to conceive of six pieces and uh the the reason i call it night guitar is uh to me that describes what the music is or the music has those connotations, uh, a lot of late nights and kind of dark surroundings and a certain kind of tranquility, I guess, you can have at night. Um, so that was the overarching theme and uh, made sense that, to me, there's a red thread of, of uh, those themes that go through the through the album, composition by composition. Uh Subjectively speaking, of course. How did you write these pieces? Can you talk about the compositional process? Well, a lot of the layering involved uh, is the result of starting in starting with one idea and then having a complementary idea with a different tone, perhaps. And then um, the more you do that, the more it builds, the more I kind of could hear and wanted to add to it. So a uh, plot formed, as it, as it were. And um, so we'd uh, usually start with one kind of firm idea. 
and uh, then complimentary voices would pop into my head, and uh, I would kind of hear, start hearing something else, and then uh, in the process of recording it in the studio there's a uh, you know you put one thing down and then another layer on top of that and then another layer there's a certain kind of hovering that occurs like a levitated music and uh so it's it's when you actually realize what it actually comes out sounding like <laughs> that you you get the kicks so it's a uh, I could have done it with less preparation, but I, I felt uh, like that's what I wanted to do, have a, a thought-out compositional recipe and then go in and be fairly spontaneous with it in the studio. But I knew what I was dealing with. And did you ever find that you that you removed things that you had added because you thought it was one thing too many or one idea too many in a piece? Yes, that happened, and that usually always happens to me. You pull something out, wait, I don't need that. So, um, yeah, there were some over, overthinking and that had to be erased <laughs> because it didn't, it didn't add anything. You mm-hmm. know, it was sort of like just locking it down as opposed to elevation. Did doing a project like this cause you to listen to your own guitar playing in a different way at all? Or to, to hear yourself differently since you were kind of reacting to yourself in that in that way? Yeah, it's sort of an inner dialogue in a way that uh, gets established. Um, so uh, there were a few surprises. <laughs> um, but uh, it does... What it does is uh, put you better in touch, even more in touch with what you really want to hear and what you really care for hearing in your own playing or in, in the music you're trying to make. So when you're playing with other people, it's it's a different issue because then you want those differences. Like, my bid says this, and then you have another uh, fellow musician with a totally different brain playing in a totally different way yet it makes the whole if it works the the music grows and you get a bigger bigger sound because of the um, uh, what should you call it uh, the sum of all those yeah all and those the parts. rubbing against each other sure. kind of makes it uh, into a bigger whole in this case I uh was doing all that myself and I was, I was just going with the what do you call it fingertip uh, sensation of this is the right time to play this exactly like that like with this charge this is I'm not thinking like that when I'm sitting there recording right. <laughs> I'm just trying to describe it uh, it's just an instinctive thing and uh, I don't really question it do you 
are, are there are there any techniques that you use or or were there in this process to come up with things that you don't normally play kind of ways to push yourself out of your comfort zone uh in the course of recording this or composing the pieces um well structurally there were a, a few areas that I didn't really know how they would sound because there's so many things going on so that was kind of going out on the limb to see if this could hold together and and uh discover how uh wide of a you know at the at the very end of the record there's a culmination and uh that culmination is sort of like a I want it to sound like an otherworldly spaceship taking off and um it was just the the whole spectrum is used from like the lowest actually sub harmonies to the very highest uh, the whole scale is is sort of represented and you get a pretty orchestral you know it's like the from the basses up to the pickle of flutes and um so that was sort of part of the the appeal to me and the fun of it was just kind of like the quest for massive sound After a brief break to get water, and I, I pulled a book off a, a stack of books, and beneath it um, was Margaret Cheney's Tesla, Man Out of Time, and I was just commenting to you that I actually uh, wrote a paper based on that book at one point, and I really love that book and the story of uh, Nikola Tesla, and uh, so you are also reading it? What what about you? What about it grabs you or, or appeals to you? Yeah, this is one of the... I'm a big fan of the library concept. Me too. So... Uh, <laughs> I go and and get books on uh, topics that uh, could be more or less planned. So I uh, one uh, I didn't know anything about Nikola Tesla, although I've known his name for decades. So I decided to find out a little more who this guy was and what he did. And uh, I've always found it really difficult to understand uh, scientific things. Like, how does electricity work? And things like that. And, you know, I can't say that I'm going to learn that from reading this book about him. But it's fascinating to read about uh, a guy who was so inventive and fearless and just not very keen on business. Um, But just one of those guys who changed our world, actually. Yeah. Alternating current radar and uh, x-rays and all kinds of things that he kind of came up with the patents for and was later ripped off <laughs> right <laughs> yeah his impact is much wider than his reputation i think it's it's interesting yeah. to read this book in new york city too because there are many places where you can go and see where he did the things that yeah. he did here here in new york yeah his first uh, office uh, was burned down I don't know where that was exactly. Was I can't remember. Yeah, Street, yeah, I, I think, think so. Yeah. And then he had an office across the pub, across from the public library, Fortieth, mm-hmm. and um, then the Wardingcliff Tower, on Long Island. Yeah. That uh, is no more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bold guy. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, interesting, uh, maybe this is too much of a stretch, but coming back to this idea you were talking about before of playing with with a charge or a certain energy to your playing, um, 
it strikes me that that's kind of a way of looking at the world that is not dissimilar from Tesla's, imagining that there are, you know, all of these forces out there to be harnessed, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes in union with other forces, as with when you're playing with other musicians, and sometimes kind of in opposition to them. And I actually wanted to ask you a charge question, which was, you were talking before about the idea of, you know, maybe now I'm playing with a, a jarring, stabbing feeling, or now with a, a quieter feeling. Is it sometimes appropriate to be playing with one of those feelings when the rest of the ensemble or the rest of the piece is not that way? Is it sometimes the right thing to do to be the one person who's holding down the other energy or the other mm. pole? I am personally attracted to that sometimes. Uh, one, if you do that, if it's like an obvious thing that everybody's going in a quiet direction and you decide to pull out the stops and offer something contradictory to the story it's uh it can definitely be the right thing to do but you gotta commit to it you can't just do it for (laughs) a second and then uh oops (laughs) nobody picked it up because they don't want to do it So uh it it takes uh I would say it takes finesse to do that. You got to you got to commit. And uh that's a, a big thing in in uh improvised music. Uh obviously you're if you're playing from no blueprint uh whatsoever, just playing together. Um these days I think it's it's more reward it's a rewarding thing to once you take a stand like that to commit to something um as opposed to being more in the zone of compromising and perhaps uh not really you're you're more of a reactionary than Mm -hmm. a supplier of a direction purveyor so um in that sense the the whole uh electricity or you know what you're talking about charges uh applies and i think it's it's a it's the kind of thing uh you see in a in a good film for example um that you have the different characters i'm a big fan of film noir by the Mm, way too me too so uh there's a tension in the in the plot and People are rubbing against each other, and that kind of generates the narrative and propulsion forward and all that. So in that sense, I I think the same can apply to music, that, you know, the tendency that we all want to agree is not necessarily the best way to go, because you can end up playing the safe stuff. Uh, and get in line with the consensus of the group, which, of course, is a great force and, you, you know, nothing to abstain from. But there are certain times when that can get a little same, mm-hmm. you know, same stuff, different day. Another thing, uh, which I never really thought of until you just said that about film noir that I've always liked about the genre is I think there's also a tension created by the fact that it's not necessarily clear where anyone aligns at particular times. You know, the characters can have motives that are very difficult to figure out and that sometimes aren't even really explained in the concepts of the films. And, uh, that's one thing I've always liked about it, that kind of, uh, rather than always being able to, to, you know, write out the entire plot of a movie before, you know, from the first five minutes of it. Often in film noir, mm. you really aren't sure what's happening next or why, and you're very oh, off yeah. balance, which I often like in music too, where you're not sure what's coming and exactly who's going to take you there. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a fan of that. I like the, the sudden drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot. And also, uh, yeah, some of these films and the, the books they're based on, like Raymond Chandler and, so on. I tend to get lost if it gets too, uh, too involved. Like the double, the, the, the double crossing. Right. Takes new turns every five <laughs> right. minutes. Like, wait, so are they in cahoots? You know, stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, in music too. I mean, uh, 
since there is no set rule, you you simply relate along the path, you know, of a musical piece. Um, of course, there are many conventions, but we try to not fall into them unwillingly. <laughs> sure. Willingly, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this year is, uh, 2012 is a, a busy one for you and you're involved in a, several different projects. Can you talk about some of the things that are coming up for you? Yes. Um, well, I'm, I'm doing a, uh, there's a concert coming up May 25th, Le Poisson Rouge here in uh, Manhattan. On Bleecker Street, and uh, that's a CD release of a uh, record made with fellow guitarist Raoul Bjorkenheim, who lives in Finland now, but he's he's going to be here in May, and Gerald Cleaver on drums. So it's two electric guitars and drums. Uh, we recorded this uh, album live at uh, Downtown Music Gallery about a year ago, and uh, now it's coming out. And that's going to be a fun one, uh, kind of freewheeling guitars uh, and and uh, Gerald's touch. So, look, I'm excited about that one. Uh, there's also a number of shows with. Uh, well, I'm actually going to do a CD release of of uh, Night Guitar in a in a trimmed down version. Uh, I don't use any loops necessarily to to kind of imitate the uh, layered nature of of these uh, tunes so um it's going to be more of a naked affair mm. just uh, a solo guitar that's going to be at the firehouse space in brooklyn september 15th pretty far away but uh, there it is a saturday night that's great um and uh you've heard me with Faye Victor before and uh we have a couple of shows coming up. Uh our duo, Exposed Blues Duo, is uh continuing its quest at uh, Sycamore in, in Brooklyn. May nineteenth, a Saturday night. And uh I'm also a member of her ensemble, Faye Victor Ensemble. We're gonna be playing a, a few shows coming up uh, April and May. spoke at the beginning of this interview about Frank Zappa and I know from reading about you um, I mean I think we're roughly about the same age and when I was uh, probably in junior high and high school 
Um, I first heard like Joe Satriani's early albums, and I also saw mm. mentioned a fellow Swede, Ingve Malmsteen, whose name I'm probably murdering, but that's how we always said it that's in upstate New York. And I think uh, that's what he wants, actually. Okay. Yes, because he spells it differently <laughs> than it's actually spelled, right? right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I got really into uh, prog rock, particularly kind of like early 70s, Robert Fripp with King Crimson and those kind of people. Mm-hmm. And, and that really shaped a lot of what I like about the way people play the guitar. And in fact, a lot of what attracts me to you, too. Although there's a lot of differences between you and that Fripp sound, but there's also there's just that kind of like raw... I'm just going to go for it thing that I really dig about the way you play. And so I'd be interested to hear, I know a few of those people are in your background, but I'd be interested to hear more about kind of mm-hmm. who, who shaped who you are. Okay. So yeah, as you know, I, I grew up in Sweden and uh, only moved here in 2000. So I was uh, growing up there and I was listening to, uh, uh, like most boys, rock and roll. And, uh, some of the bands that uh, I can look back on now and say really influenced my uh, musical path uh, include Deep Purple, for example, Richie Blackmore, and the whole the whole vibe, really. And uh, ACDC as well. Uh, a lot of blues uh, of different types. And then the... Uh, uh, the metal scene a bit, you know, but uh, I would say I, I have more of, of an affinity with maybe the prog side of, of things, although I like some metal bands. Yeah. Um, so that, all those types of playing, like the uh, melodic nature of uh, Richie Blackmore or something like that, uh, is definitely an, an influence. And then the, uh, you know, the whole blues guitar unit is unshakable. What else did I mention? I said, uh, oh yeah, the metal thing. There's a lot of the the energy of that that appeals to me, from the thrashing rhythms to atonal leads like Slayer or something like that. That's uh, that's one piece of my puzzle for sure. And then after that, I uh, got more into to jazz and uh, jazz rock and stuff like that. John McLaughlin, big influence. Uh, Sonny Chirac. Oh, yeah. Speaking of cutting through, simply amazing and raw. Uh, his solo album, Guitar, you know that one? I do. I love that one. And uh, I've been listening to that uh, quite a bit. And My Goals Beyond by uh, John McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the music that does not involve guitar, of course, you know, we go into jazz, the guitar is, relatively speaking, unimportant in the evolution of the music. You know, you have Django and Charlie Christian and those icons, but the language of the music hasn't really come from a guitar player, you know, so obviously... The same ones everybody else listens to. Miles yeah. Davis, Charlie Parker, Coltrane, and uh, their associates, and so on. Uh, a lot of things. A lot of things. What What pulled you in the direction that you're going now, though? Because you've, you know, in terms of making a career playing music, you've chosen one of the harder paths, you know, playing a lot of kind of freely improvised music and a lot of uh, I mean, music in a genre that is not nearly as well known as any of the other musicians that you just named except for the jazz guys uh so what do you remember what it was or what multiple things it were that pulled you kind of in this direction um it's hard to say i have uh it's just been a natural evolution i think and uh i kind of never wanted to be a guy who plays in a, a certain style like let's say I want to be a great rock guitar player and play uh, play that. Uh, it's not I I can like that for a minute, but then uh, I've always needed something more. So that hunger for you know somewhere between the known and the unknown 
the twilight zone is <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I'm attracted to. And, you know, uh, constant growth and expansion. And, you know, um, been fortunate to play with some great guitar players here uh, in this city since I got here, like Elliot Sharp and uh, Aaron Dugan, a colleague. We have a guitar duo called Hot and Cold, and he's uh, he's a very good friend as well. I should also mention that uh, part of the evolution is uh, thanks to uh, to uh, some good friends in Sweden including my brother, Peter, who plays drums. And we have a band overseas called Aorta that uh, we that plays every now and then whenever I go back. Um, that's my compositions mainly, but it's more of a... It has some prog sides, and it has some quests for the unknown and groove and heaviness that we go for. Uh, and a fellow... Uh, a guy I went to school with in Sweden, Matthias Carlson, fantastic uh, musician, horn horn player, and David Carlson, the bass player, uh, electric bass. So the four of us are in Aorta and uh, spend countless hours listening to music and talking about the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> and what drew you here to New York? When I moved here, I... Uh, had already been here visiting maybe four or five times. Started to make some friends and a uh, couple of jam sessions and so on. So at the time, I was kind of ready to move to a uh, larger city. And I was considering Berlin first because it, it's closer and so on. But I settled on New York. And uh, so what's always drawn me to it is the um, you know it's the individually minded uh, artists that carve out the scene and uh, make uh, make things happen that uh, uh, attracted me and all the of course all the stuff that's went gone down here so I, I was kind of uh, seeking out a lot of uh, a lot of musicians when I first arrived, uh, some of which I still play with, and uh, I've been lucky to form musical relationships with uh, with them. For example, uh, Ken Foliano, the bass player, and Michael Evans, the percussionist. We have a trio called Fulminate Trio, where we kind of blend composition and improvisation, uh, guitar trio style, and a lot of other people. Many. Did you find that coming here changed or opened for you new, maybe either changed the way you ap approached making music yourself or just opened new avenues for you that you wouldn't have had otherwise? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, uh, where you can make music, <laughs> like playing in the subway and things like that. I had never had any appeal to go do that back home. But uh, I learned a lot playing in the subway, actually, with Tom Bruno, uh, drummer. Uh, that's one aspect, learning to kind of do it where, wherever makes sense at the time to do it. Mm. And also the, the whole cliche of the melting pot of New York, you know, you have all people from all over the world, so you're bound to to get a lot of influences and to deal with that that that's you know forms you as well. So uh I would say a lot of input from from other people and that helps carve out your own niche and Carving out my own niche is not something I do consciously. It's just kind of a, a natural result. And, you know, you, you, I'm attracted to a lot of different types of music, uh, and, uh, different types of musicians too, who are not necessarily from the same so-called scene, but, uh, uh, you know, 
pretty b- big list of interests. I want to uh, to finally come back to Night Guitar, or maybe to its effects, and ask whether having having spent the time really intensely focusing on on sound and on your approach to guitar that was necessary to make this record. Do you have you found that that has carried over had some some effects on the way you've played since you made this record? Are you doing new things or or trying other things that maybe as a result of this record you tried for the first time? Um I think uh from a performing solo point of view, I've I've grown since I made this album cuz I I feel like I have more of a you know the fragile nature of going out there alone on stage and you're fully responsible for it all uh i feel like i have more of an understanding now after going through this process and uh kind of yeah i would say it's a little more solidified my guest is the guitarist anders nilsson and his new album is called night guitar and i have now twice on the show managed to kind of get his name uh it's man you just you really are one of my favorite players and it's it's such a pleasure to talk to you thank you for taking the time to do it my pleasure jason thank you very much Today's guest was guitarist Anders Nilsson. His new album is called Night Guitar. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 369. Get out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Okay, I'm done! Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.